everyone, and welcome to episode 440 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Seth Fred Olive, and we have a small crew here this week. Uh, Krim, away to anime convention, lost his phone, some sort of moondoggle, so no Krim this week, but we are joined by the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you this Monday, Richard? Good morning, Seth. What's a boondoggle? I've never heard this. Expression. You've never heard a boondoggle? A boondoggle? Kind of boondoggle? Is this like, like a sixties slang or something? What is this? I think it's actually Dark earlier. Words. I think it's like <laughs> earlier than that, like early nineteen hundreds slang for like a, a costly mistake. I think is the easy definition, but <laughs> it's a funny word, right? Boondoggle. Who doesn't want to say boondoggle? I'm, I'm going to use that in my next match, magic match <laughs> with my opponent punts. I'm like, that's quite the boondoggle. That was quite there. the boondoggle. <laughs> uh, anyway. Today, we're going to be jumping around. We got one ring news, both the one of one ring news and one of ring in competitive format news. There's new secret layer drops we wanted to talk about a bit. There's some arena news, historic and explore anthologies on the way. We wanted to discuss something that uh, Tulare Community College, a professor actually brought up, the worst mechanic of all time, a standard actually is in an interesting place right now. So we're going to be jumping around before answering your fish mail. Before we get into that, though, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And Card Conduit, they are the easiest way to sell your magic cards. And if you ever want to avoid all the hassles that go into buy listing your cards, Card Conduit lets you skip them with your curated service. You can send in as many cards as you want, as long as they get a buy list value of a dollar or more and pay just a 5% service fee. And if you want to do a bit of work, you can use their sorted service where you list and sort your cards cards in advance and pay just a 2% fee. And no matter which one you choose, you're going to get a detailed report with the results and a fast payment once your order is processed. And you can even get another 10% off if you head over to cardconduit.com slash mtggoldfish. Card Conduit, it's the easiest way to sell your magic cards. So thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And let's talk some magic. And let's start with... I mean, the big news, Richard. Uh, Lord of the Rings, what, out two weeks now? Maybe three weeks if you count the early you can buy packs during pre-release. But it has finally happened. The biggest question for the set, when and if the one of one ring would be opened. It's been found. Richard, what's the story there? Who found it? When was it found? What are What are the details? I don't know the details, Seth, oh. but it was PSA graded. <laughs> okay, it was PSA graded. It was apparently a collector, so not like uh, a store. And the the important part was Wizards like retweeted it. So Wizards like tweeted it. That that is the the official confirmation. Uh, because when I saw it was graded, I'm like, just wait for another card company to like put out a graded one of one and see what happens, right? Uh, but Wizards giving it the AOK probably means something. Uh, yeah. But other than that, I think it's kind of a letdown. I don't know. Like it was just like a, a random tweet. We're like, oh, it's here. And then Wizards is like, okay, it's here. And they're like, okay. And then the prices of collector boosters slowly drop. And then I don't know. I I don't know what I was expecting, but pretty much it happened. And yeah. uh, that that chapter of magic history is closed. Uh, I guess we're gonna wait for the auction or the the selling of the one of one. I guess is what's gonna happen. But the the actual opening didn't didn't seem too hyped to me i don't know it's just like it happened <laughs> yeah so so we still don't actually know uh who actually opened it we don't know the person we do know that it was found near toronto actually just outside of uh toronto someone apparently opened it and then went to their lgs or a lgs and uh took and had it graded so i assume that means since it went through the grading process it was probably open a couple weeks ago. Like that takes a little while normally, unless they have some rush to get it done. So this might've been opened right back during pre-release even. And we just didn't hear about it until this past week. We haven't heard the details about how they're going to sell it. There's been a couple of tweets about, Hey, like we got it now. If you'd like to make some offers, let us know. I don't know if they're going to go with one of the, the standing offers, the $2 million offer something like that. I also felt it was a little bit anticlimactic. Like after the huge like discussion about it, it kind of was like such a big topic. It kind of went out with a bit of a whimper though, where it was just kind of like a random tweet at a like middle of the morning. Like I don't know. I, I don't know what I was expecting though. Like it, I, I was expecting. 
I don't know, wizards to like have some big article and like find the person out, like do some big promotion. But it was just kind of like, hey, someone found it. It's on Twitter and like wizards retweeted it or whatever. Tweeted, yeah, they found it. So it was a little bit anticlimactic in that sense. Obviously, congrats to the person who opened it. That really is like a life changing card to open. And one of the most interesting parts is it certainly got picked up by the real news. I was just looking in Google and like USA Today and Wall Street Journal, all these like real non-magic, non-gaming news outlets have articles about like it being open, the person finding it, how much it's worth. Uh, it's kind of interesting. It's something that like, so I went over to, uh, to meet, uh, Tano's and some magic people who are coming through town. They're staying over at a casino hotel a little ways away from me this weekend. And, and, uh, one of the people had their cube with them and the guard at the casino that like checks your ID knew nothing about magic, but they had heard of the $2 million one ring. They're like, Oh, that's the game with the $2 million one ring. All right. Like, I don't know anything about it, but I've, I've heard about this. Do you think this was a success from a promotional aspect then? Like, since they're getting all this coverage and random people who don't know magic know about this now, like, it was a success from Watsi's perspective, right? Smashing success, right? Like, look at the price of collector boosters still. Uh, but, yeah. like, look at everyone who knows nothing about magic but knows about this. Look at all the Lord of the Rings fans coming in. Uh, so, I mean, if, if I was Watsi, I'd be like, pat on the back, <laughs> right? Like, we did a good job. It, it worked out. You know, we we fought against the non Lord of the Rings believers or whatever, and <laughs> and it worked. Um, and I, I think most people would would say it, it would have worked, right? It's like kind of free money. The yeah. question is, where does Watsi go from here, right? Do they do they reel back? They're done with the one of one, or are we getting the one of one Spider Man ring or something yeah. like next week? You know, like where 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 do we stand with one of ones? Because you can't sit there and be like. This was the greatest product of all time. We sold the most stuff ever. We'll never do it again. Like I just fail to believe that, right? Uh, but if they don't do it right, then it's it's not special anymore, and, and you know no one thinks it's cool. Uh, so we'll see where Wizards goes from here. But you know, even though you know it wasn't anything crazy, the revealing of the ring, like it, it was a smashing success, and and news outlets got it right. That's all you really need to know. And then when it sells, you bet it'll make headlines again, right? When it sells for two mil three mil, five mil, whatever, uh, it, it will go into headlines again, right? As one of the most, or, you know, as the most expensive magic card ever sold, right? And just as probably the most expensive piece of cardboard ever sold, maybe, I don't yeah. know, right? Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it, it, it'll be good for the, it'll be good for exposure. Yeah. Oh, certainly good for exposure. Do you think it's good or bad for getting players into the game? I've been going back and forth on this. Like, uh, the random person that doesn't know magic, when you hear $2 million card, do you think, wow, that makes me want to, like, buy some of these packs because I could get the $2 million card or does it like reinforce the like this game is really expensive why would I ever try to join this game where car a piece of cardboard costs $2 million like the exposure is good do you think it actually brings in more people is that a positive or a negative having like this huge number being the one thing people know about the game uh personally I think it's bad you know you know what also got a lot of exposure crypto and nfts right like we also heard about <laughs> random jpegs being sold for absurd amounts of money and we're like oh yeah weird but whatever right uh like this kind of gives that vibe you know it'd be better if the news was like the prize pool was like a lot or something right like you could you could tangibly think of where the money came from this is like someone just printed a card and sold it for like two million dollars so yeah. in my mind that's a little off uh, or the fact that, I don't know, once they start playing Magic and they're like, wow, let's go buy some Lord of the Rings cards. Why is this thing like $400, right? Like, I, uh, maybe not good. Uh, what's even worse is they buy it and they're like, why do all these cards suck? That's even worse, right? Like, why why, why does my deck like lose to random budget decks if I spent all this money? Uh, so I think there's some issues there. Uh, but, you know the saying, no... No news is no way, was it? There's no such thing as bad news. No, yeah, no, no, no bad, bad publicity. Yeah, uh, no, no, no bad, bad publicity. publicity. I think that's right. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, so in like, yeah, for, for every person that poo poos the game is like, oh, it's too expensive. There's like one Mr. Moneybags that's like, oh, this is the game for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can come, I can come, I make lots of money, I can buy the cards, it's no problem for me, and I want to play Lord of the Rings, right? So, I, I think overall, it'll bring people to the game. And it is like an easy way to broach the topic of magic with someone who doesn't know it. I've I've realized that too. Like 
uh, hey, there's this card that is about Lord of the Rings, which everyone knows, even if they don't know magic, and it's worth a ridiculous amount of money. That's a really easy conversation starter. So I've noticed, like, even in my life with friends that don't know magic or whatever, it's an easy way to, like, bring up the topic. Uh, I still don't know if it's necessarily a positive, just because the number is, like, so huge that it might scare some people away, especially if you're people that know magic a little and already know that the game has a reputation of being really expensive. Although, really... The bigger issue from the One Ring financially is probably the cost of the normal versions of the One Ring. Like, this one-of-one, two-million-dollar One Ring, whatever. Like, someone won the lottery, like, they sell it around. The bigger issue, I don't know if you've been keeping up on this, Richard. The One Ring, it's $72 now in paper, which is ridiculously expensive. And on Magic Online, a few days ago, it was actually unavailable. You couldn't really find it anywhere. And it's over 100 ticks at the moment to get a single copy of it. And this is a card that is showing up in a lot of modern decks also like vintage decks legacy decks commander decks <sighs> what do you think about that like what do you think about the current cost of actually wanting to play with like the cheap version of the one ring is that actually a bigger issue than having this two million dollar collectible yeah I, I, so I, I don't think the price is driven by modern even though obviously the moto online uh the magic online price is driven by by modern but Think like Jewel Lotus, right? It goes in every deck and it's extremely strong. It's going to be an expensive card. And then it's also like iconic IP on top of that. Uh, so it is a problem. Are they going to reprint it? Nope. <laughs> right? Like your your best bet was like a secret layer or something. We saw the secret layer. Not happening. So uh, it's time to bust out the Sharpie, I guess, if you <laughs> want to play with the one ring. Because, uh, yeah, like, are they going to print it in Commander Masters? No way. Right? Are they going to print it in the next year's Commander Masters? Probably not. IP issues. Uh, at this point, it might behoove them to make the Magic in-universe version and print it. Uh, yeah. But that thing will be a lot cheaper than the One Ring, right? Because it's like obviously not as special. So the, the One Ring, I think, will maintain its value. And modern, it might get Powercraft or something. But like Commander, it's always going to be there for a long time. Right? I, I would be shocked if three years from now, people are not playing the One Ring in their deck still. So I don't yeah. know. It seems like a staple staple. It's colorless. It goes in every single deck. Every deck needs card draw. Uh, so yeah, I think it's just going to be expensive card. Yeah, it's it, it is definitely an expensive card. And yeah, I don't know if modern's like the primary driver of it, but I think it it definitely plays into it. Like cards that are playable across formats, that's like you that additional demand really drives prices up. My one hope is that they're just gonna print this set for a while. We know the holiday edition's coming in like November or whatever. Hopefully they keep printing it. Like right now. Modern Horizons is expensive, but they printed Modern Horizons for like two years continually. You could just go and buy a box. Uh, you can still go buy a box if you want to at a, a reasonable price, the same price as when it first released. And right now, like, Ragavan's under 50, the Vogue Elementals, they're, uh, they're in the 30s. But those cards don't have nearly the commander demand is something like the One Ring. So I feel like... The One Ring's like Raghavan in Modern at the moment, but also one of the best Commander cards they've ever printed. So it's hard to imagine it ever being really cheap unless they aggressively try to reprint it. Like, I, I don't know how we're going to get around this. It was another weekend in Modern where the One Ring is kind of, I don't want to say dominating, but there was a bunch of challenges, which are the competitive events on Magic Online over the weekends. And there were five challenges or preliminaries in the last like four days. Uh, one Ring decks won four of them, and if you look through the top eight, it's somewhere around like 35% of decks are One Ring decks, and if you're playing the One Ring, it's mostly as a four of, sometimes a three of, so the card's definitely showing again and again that it, it does have legs in Modern, to the point where I'm a little worried about the, the Omnath decks. That's the deck that's really risen to the top with the One Ring. I don't know if you've played any Modern recently. Have you played Modern since the, the Lord of the Rings set dropped? No, I was trying to procure a play set of One Ring set. <laughs> yeah, good good luck. Yeah, the deck, the Omnath deck is oh, over a thousand bucks on Moto right now and almost two thousand in paper. That's a metagame call. Hundred percent. Hundred percent metagame call. So okay, here's the thing, okay? If anyone's played modern before before the One Ring, you cannot outgrind an Omnath deck, right? One of the reasons Jund is like a useless deck is Omnath exists. Like you cannot go long against this deck. This deck can go even longer now with the One Ring, but because everyone's watering down their deck to go along with the One Ring, you just fall into like Omnath's trap card, right? Like you both have One Rings popping off, but they got an Omnath. So I think Omnath is 
a lot better because everyone is like trying to jam the one ring into everything they can play. So it, once people stop doing that, then the Omnath decks won't be as prevalent. But you know, Omnath's always been strong. It's always been a tier one deck. But if you want to go long mid-range grind fest, like you're not beating Omnath. So don't test your one rings against that deck. Like it's not gonna work. They also play green and white. They can remove your one ring, right? You may not be able to remove theirs. <laughs> yeah. So you so you think it's just the best the best deck in the one ring meta, essentially. Like you have good answers for your opponent's one ring. It does synergize really well with Omnath, because Omnath makes four mana, which just happens to be enough to play the one ring. So you get plus Omnath has a life gain. So what do you care if your burden counters are adding up? Because Omnath is gaining a ridiculous amount of life. So maybe it is just like the best deck in the one ring meta. It got me wondering, though, Richard, do you think Wizards expected this? Like, do you think they printed One Ring knowing it was... Because I underestimated I think we all underestimated its potential for uh, for Modern. Do you think Wizards expected this to be, like, a format-defining Modern card? Or were they kind of thinking what we were? Like, oh, this is a good Commander card. Because I've heard some conspiracy theories where people are like, well, we know this ban window is, like, a month from now. We know a Pro Tour is coming up in between featuring Modern. Did Wizards, like, super push the One Ring, intentionally have it, like, make a huge splash, sell the Lord of the Rings set, be at this Pro Tour, knowing that they can just ban it or do something to it in August if they need to? Nah, I don't think so. (laughs) I think they probably just missed it or they thought it was playable but, like, not this dominant. Uh, But... I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel it's like Nexus of Fate. I feel it's like it was a commander card. Who's going to play a four drop that does nothing in modern? <laughs> and then, like, turns out it's really good. I feel they missed it. Uh, and, and I feel they would emergency ban outside. I don't believe their policy either. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out what happens. But once they're outside their banning windows and, like, the metagame is absolutely disgusting, like, are they really just going to leave it? Like, I don't. I think they can have an emergency, emergency ban or something. Uh, There's always like emergency, right? Like you can always be like, well, emergency, we got to do something, right? So I don't actually believe them yet, but I I don't think, I think that's giving Wizards way too much credit, right? For them to figure out a card that would slice into all of modern, but not really break modern exactly. Like just everyone's running it now. It's like how everyone runs Ragavan or or whatever, right? Like Leyline Binding, like stuff like that. Like just like goes in every deck if you need it to be. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's especially this card. Like it's a four mana artifact. Like it looks like a commander card. If the card that was breaking modern was like, what if delighted halfling was actually like an upgraded death right shaman or something? Then I could maybe get behind the like, oh, wizards really did this on purpose. I I underestimated the one ring. It doesn't seem like a stretch to me that wizards also underestimated its power. I don't know if they're upset about it. I think they're probably happy to see the one ring actually like seeing a decent amount of play in 60 card formats. It justifies making the Lord of the Rings at modern legal when there was some concern like, will this even have a big impact on modern? Like, is this just a commander set? Well, at least the one ring is, is showing that the set has the power. So I don't really buy the conspiracy theories. I don't know if I don't know what they do with the banning though. Like it, it's still pretty. I do think this is a card that probably has to be banned Seeding eventually, song, being colorless. But <laughs> what do you think about this? Seething song. Here's the <laughs> yeah. Then you just seething song into your wondering in turn early. That doesn't that doesn't solve anything. But the, yeah, ritual, the other one that's playing seething song correctly will win the game, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're wrong if you look at the. If you look at the non-one-ring decks that have been having success uh, during, like, the challenges and so forth, it is decks that aren't really trying to grind for the most part. It's either decks that are going really aggro, like uh, Death Shadow decks with counter spells, or decks that are just like, I'm in a living end. Like, what do, what do I care? I'm going to combo off with Yawgmoth. What do I care if you're drawing cards and, like, protection? I can just go off instant speed and beat you in one turn anyway. So I think you're you're not incorrect that that is the, the solution to this grindy midrange uh, metagame, is just those, those fast combo decks. So maybe some sort of unbanning would be good. What do you think about eroding the one ring that's the other thing that's come up in this conversation like what if it was restricted instead of being banned in modern because one of the problems with the one ring is like it's down so it has to be legendary because it's one ring but that also really defeats the whole gameplay aspect of it because you just play a second one ring to legend rule the first one once you get too many burden counters so if you could only play a single copy then there would actually be some amount of risk to like, oh, maybe I actually do die to my own one ring, which just doesn't really happen in practice now because you can legend rule yourself. What about like restricting it? So you just play a single copy. Would that 
would that be a flavorful solution? It would be unprecedented because Wizards doesn't restrict cards, but the One Ring's unprecedented. It's a $2 million card, all this stuff. If there was any card that you could justify it, kind of like remember when they had to ban Luris in Vintage because Companion just, what's the point of restricting a Luris? You just only play one as your Companion anyway. Is there any chance that it's correct to just restrict it? So we can be like RNG Fest, whoever draws their One Ring wins. <laughs> that <laughs> like, is the, uh, the drawback. I don't know yeah. about <laughs> I don't know about that one. Um, that's very awkward. I, I would just ban the card. Just ban it uh, if you have to. Like, imagine you can run, like, one Hogak or one yeah. Oko. Like, if, <clears throat> like, if you really cared, you would just tutor it up. And if you didn't, like, you would just leave it to the RNG gods. Like, whether you're going to draw it in your crucial, you know, game five of the Pro Tour, whether you, you who drew the one, one of one ring. Like, I don't know. I think just, just, I don't think they need to ban it. Like, it just shows how bad modern is right now. Like, it's like, it's a, it's like a problem of 2023. Everything is just grindy mid range. And taking turn four off, like, you can't beat the person taking turn four off. Like, that, that's gotta be wrong. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, like, print more aggro. Like, <laughs> there needs to be, like, a more one man of four damage burn spells or something. Like, I don't know what this means, right? It, like, you should be able to just, like, kill people uh, before this happens, but we can't. Like, I, what I would take, what I would do is look at the metagame before this all existed. What decks beat Omnath, like, cleanly, like, very well? Like, those decks need to be powered up, right? Uh, so those are usually some kind of aggro decks, some kind of combo deck that they can't deal with. And then we need to power them up. It's time to make Super Monkey, Seth. <laughs> the, no. the monkey is now I knew five, this five is where we're metas. going. Like, yeah, <laughs> as you were talking, I'm like, man, are you just pitching like better and more improved Ragavans? Like, do we is that the solution? We just Ragavans not good enough. We need even better Ragavans. Oh, uh, I mean, I, I think Storm. I think you need Storm, or you need like Belcher type. Like, why, why do those decks not work? Like, so fast combo is too slow. Yeah, but like, what's the other? What's what's the most legit fast combo we have today? It's 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 got to be hammer time, right? <laughs> like what's, uh, yeah, maybe amulet titan. Like I guess those it depends are not fast on at all though. Like yeah. we, we need like like the real storm type decks. I mean, there's not really yeah. There's not much in modern that's gonna kill you before turn three. There's a lot of decks that on turn three with their their best draws or good draws can kill you, but there's not much that's literally gonna kill you on turn two. Maybe hammer time sometimes. Is it the free spells? Like you should be fearful of tapping out in turn four to play the ring, even though you have indestruct you know, you're, you're indestructible or you 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 get like a, a turn of immunity. Because I, your opponent can freely play all their spells and then when that turn is up, just like nuke you. But that's not the case. Is it because you can now tap out and just cast like a multitude of free spells if needed to keep yourself alive? I think that is a, a big part of it. Like stuff like Solitude really makes it safe to tap out. And then plus, if you look at even, so the, the Omnath decks are the most prevalent one ring decks. Not only do you have fear, uh, Solitude, you have Furies in the decks, you usually have Endurances in the sideboard, you got Force of Vigors. There's a lot of like free things that you can cast now. I wonder, maybe we need Force of Will. Maybe we have all these offensive, like, free spells. Maybe we need to be able to stop the free spells. Like, the I need my mental missteps to stop no my opponent's mental missteps. Yeah. Okay, I got it. It's a one mana, three, three. When it hits someone, it makes a treasure. All your spells cost one less. Counter any free spells. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> you got, you got like Electromancer, Ragavan, plus, like, a, a hate bear stapled yeah, just on. Mash them all together. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that would that would probably help. I don't know if that would be a positive for the four men overall, but it would slow down the one ring. I, I, I would just unban rituals and see where we go. I mean, I think that's my favorite. We we did a couple of podcasts not that long ago going over the modern ban list, and our conclusion was there's actually like quite a few cards that are at least worth considering. So I would also like to see that be the first step. I think. I honestly don't think the One Rings, unless, we'll see what the Pro Tour looks like. If it is, like, historically dominant at the modern Pro Tour, maybe it gets banned in August. Otherwise, like, I don't think they ban it in August. I would be, if it is like it is today, like, a very good card that's seeing a lot of play and winning challenges or whatever, but doesn't go past that, I would be shocked if it got banned that quickly. Because normally Wizards doesn't take that quick of action. We'll see if their new banning cadence plays into that. And then this is like their big window. Do they have to take advantage of it now? But I'm actually, I think it, 
could definitely need to be banned eventually. I think it's busted, but it seems very quick for them to make a change now, especially since they're probably still going to be selling Lord of the Rings back. Okay, so wait, wait, wait. I have a question. Is it, is it, let's say this is the metagame. Is it bad, Seth? It is gets this not old. just a modern horizons. Yeah, but it doesn't get old to get furied and solitude and <laughs> whatever, like monkey. Like we have these like kind of staples that cut across every single deck. This one's colorless, so it's a little more egregious, but like is it that bad? Like if this is the metagame? I feel like a a lot of games I've played recently, I've been playing One Ring in a lot of different decks, uh, mostly in Historic, because I don't want to spend $400 to give them a Magic Online, <laughs> uh, but I've been playing in a lot of decks, and a lot of games seem to come down to who draws the One Ring. Like, that that seems to be, like, the determining factor. Like, if you draw the One Ring and your opponent doesn't draw theirs, you probably win. If your opponent draws it and you don't draw yours, they probably win. You can try to minimize that play pattern by having answers to the One Ring. Like, uh, it is really good because it stops your opponent from drawing too many cards or they die, or, like, Orcish Bowmasters, or just straight up killing it. Any, like, Leyline Binding, they can just exile it and get rid of it. So you do have to, like, metagame for it, but that's the part that I dislike. I enjoy playing. Like, I love drawing cards. Like, the power of the One Ring, it is pretty intoxicating. Like, they did kind of nail it flavor-wise. I do feel like I go to, like, Gollum, and I'm doing the My Precious thing. Like, where's My Precious? And I'm just, like, kind of drawing all the cards and, like, freaking out. So it, it works on that level, but... I do think it leads to this really swingy, like, who draws this one card, like, metagame, which I don't know. It's fine for now. I'm still enjoying it for now. But if it's like this six months from now, I think I'm going to end up sick of it. And like, come on, let's let's stop doing let's stop doing that for a while. But uh, I guess we'll see. Like, the modern Pro Tour will really, I think, give us a lot of information. Like, this is early Magic Online results. The card's really good. But I think we wait and see the modern Pro Tour in a week or two, uh, how how things shake out there. But let's, uh, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about <laughs> Secret Layers, Richard. There's always Secret Layers. That's not a surprise. They're always coming. But this Secret Layer uh, Summer Super Drop that was just announced uh, a few days ago... I've seen a lot of negative feedback from this one online. So if you look through the super drop, you go to secretlayer.wizards.com or secretlayer.com and you can see it. Got some really cool art. Like it's got, like any secret layer drop, some really unique art. You got some, you know, Mountain Go basic lands, cool art styles. But there's someone on Reddit who always does a, a price breakdown of all the secret layer drops. Like how much are they worth? Like the, how many, uh, what value of cards are you getting when you spend 30 or $40, depending on foil or non-foil to get these cards? And really out of these layer drops, None of them are really worth it. There's a lot of like, I'm spending $30 and getting $20 worth of cards. There's some that are, I'm spending $30 and getting like $10 worth of cards. And the most egregious is the Lord of the Rings drop, Adventures in Middle-Earth. Uh, it's it's four commons or uncommons, all of which are worth like, I added up at one point, it was 19 cents, I think, in total value to get the, the <laughs> and you're spending $30. It has like, I guess, nostalgic art from the 1978 Lord of the Rings animated movie. Do you think there's an issue here? Like, is this something worth complaining about? Or are secret layers just their own separate thing and you're not buying them for the value? You're buying it for this unique art or whatever. Like, should we be complaining about secret layers with 20 cents of cards? Or is that just useless for us even to complain about? I think there's a complaint, but I think it's not a value proposition, right? So the value proposition was not we reprint expensive cards to make them more affordable for you, right? That's so Wizards has never actually said that for anything, right? <laughs> yeah. But the closest for that is probably like a, a, a like a master set or something, right? Where they're they're printing cards and you know they're gonna print some expensive cards to try to sell the product, right? Secret layer is all about fancy art, uh, and you're paying more and more for fancy art, right? Because the, the the fancy art price is a difference between the product price and like the the EV or whatever, right? So people are saying the EV is going down, which means we're paying more and more for art as time goes on. I think that's okay. The problem is these cards are stone unplayable, right? Like I, I'm fine with the card not being worth much as long as it's playable, right? So find me like the top EDH rec commons or whatever worth like 50 cents, put them in secret layer, I'm fine, right? I can always play an Arcane Denial. I can always play maybe even Evolving Wilds is playable, right? But like Slip-On Ring, like come on, right? <laughs> like Gandalf, Friend of the Shire, like what am I going to do with this, right? They're like so niche, and so underwhelming in power that even if I love this art, even if I'm willing to spend the money for it, 
there's no home for it. I have no deck to put it in. I can't do anything with it. It's just a display piece. So I would like to see playable cards. Price, if it's expensive, that's an upside, but it just needs to be playable. And just like like the basic lands ones are always good value, right? Because you can always put basic lands in your deck. Although, you know, Seth, we don't believe in basic lands, so it's getting harder and harder to fit all my secret lands in. But yeah, it's just... These cards are like stone. Like, what the heck is Nemesis of Reason? Okay, yeah. uh, like, like, what are these cards? And like, did we need a tiny bones? Like, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of niche cards. Yeah, and this is the problem. They they have so many secret layers. They got to keep jamming cards in. So why not? Right? Like, how many cards is this? This is like six drops, whatever the summer set. Uh, so many cards all the time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is like uh, because I think it's also true that secret layers, the cards from secret layer drops are often going to end up more valuable than their normal printings. And I, I sort of ironically, that's doubly true of unpopular secret layer drops. So if a lot of people don't buy the Lord of the Rings drop because uh, they think it's not worth it, those cards are going to be even more scarce. So it could be more valuable. But I think you're very right that like what do you do with the cards? Like, that's kind of the big issue. Like, where do I play? I, I can't even think of a most commander decks where I could play these cards. Like, they're just so low powered and low quality. So even if they wanted to, like, do the Lord of the Rings thing, but not really put any value in it, it probably would have been way better to have like a stern scolding or a reprieve or like there's a bunch of options where at least they're giving you even some of the just uncommon legends like people get hyped about build a pony people might actually build a deck around that so i think they could have definitely handled that way better and i think that maybe maybe they're thinking that lord of the rings fans just don't care maybe they're thinking people don't buy these as magic cards they're gonna buy them to like stick it on a shelf and that's the audience they're going for so why why do we need to put any value into this because no one's gonna play with them anyway we're just selling him to people as a collectible which i guess we'll see if it actually works but yeah i think that the value of secret layer drops and i also think wizards like is maybe testing the waters to see like how how low value can you put in a secret layer drop how bad of cards can you put in a secret layer drop and still sell them just based on the art because as much as there's been criticism over the value and the playability of some of the cards i will say the summer super drop does have some really cool art like the elemental art in the uh stargaze back foil edition like oh it's so cool the tiny bones art the skeleton art's really cool so they nailed it with the art but the card selection i think could be could be a little bit improved maybe so definitely curious if you're listening to this somewhere with comments what do you think about the the value of these seeker layer drops but uh moving on we have some arena news wizards announced historic and also explore anthology is going to be dropping on arena in about two weeks i think it's the 18th they said of july so a couple of weeks from now uh we got a few spoilers richard uh what do you think about uh these anthology cards i guess you don't really play either you don't play either of those formats do you this is why we need crim <laughs> I, so, I, uh, no, I haven't played historic at all actually uh i, I was planning to play explorer eventually but like, you just never get a chance. I'm like, with all this Lord of the Rings stuff going, why would I play Explorer? I would just go play Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> I mean, Historic is actually a good place to play Lord of the Rings. And it's, I've been enjoying I played, Historic's, I think, the format I've played most since Lord of the Rings has come out. And there's some matchups that are kind of miserable and have these busted alchemy cards. But in general, I've actually really enjoyed it. And I feel like it's a good format to play the Lord of the Rings cards. I think the most interesting aspect of these anthologies for me, there's six cards we've seen so far. Cyclonic Rift, Eidolon of Blossoms, Deathrite Shaman, uh, Acidic Slime, Tooth and Nail, Worn Power Stone. To me, what stands out about this the most is I feel like this is Wizards really acknowledging the popularity of Historic Brawl. Like, if you look at these cards, Deathrite, I guess, sees a little bit of Explorer play. Uh, there's certain, like, graveyard decks that play it. Eidolon of Blossoms has seen play in the past uh, in 60-card formats. But outside of those, Cyclonic Rift, Acidic Slime, Tooth and Nail, Worn Power Stone, those are all commander cards. Like, those are the formats where you play that. I think this is Wizards, like, finally actually acknowledging just how big of a deal Historic Brawl is in the format. And I think that that's 
a really good thing. I think Wizards should really embrace that more. I was I was looking at untap.gg, which I know people they they go back and forth of how much weight they put in to like untap gg stats. It's a tracker, so you know, not everyone has it all the time uh, and it doesn't get the whole picture, but there is a lot of historic brawl played. Even just people that have the tracker, historic brawl is a very very popular format that gets played as much as it doesn't see as much play as standard, but it's on par with essentially every other arena format and far ahead of some of the the less popular formats like alchemy or historic or explorer. So I think that this is really the the one of the big paths forward. I don't know if they'll ever get four players on arena, but I'm really happy to see them actually printing cards that maybe they're not that useful in historic proper or in uh explorer at all, but are just going to support uh people who want to play the historic brawl format. I think they should really embrace that and do more releasing more unique commanders onto the format because I really think that is the one way to kind of capture the that casual audience not everyone wants to be grinding the ladder like it's nice to be able to like play a fun format and do some cool things and do it on arena so i'm excited for it even though so far it doesn't seem like much is actually uh, we'll see the rest of the spoilers but the early spoilers nothing really is going to shake up i don't think explorer or a uh, historic proper uh all right richard oh go ahead i'm gonna say the the previews start next week right or five Ye days from now yeah. Yes, I think the 9th and 10th. So, yeah, like there are the 10th and 11th. So, yeah, the beginning of next week, we should get the whole set over the course of a couple days. And then we'll have uh, Commander Master spoilers before too long, too. Uh, that's going to be starting, I think, the end of this month. They announced <laughs> they announced the spoiler schedule for yeah, that. I'm already so. upset about my uh, collector boosters heading over <laughs> without the one ring in them. And we're already onto the next Commander product. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah, I, I was actually, it wasn't on our topic list, but I don't know if you've seen, like, the prices the so part of commander masters is there's four pre-cons that seem to have really popular themes like slivers is one of them the pre-cons are selling for like 80 or 85 bucks and i just looked today a set booster box 24 set booster packs is going for almost 500 500 it's like 20 bucks a pack for set boosters that's almost normal collector booster prices think it's worth it like is it worth gambling on do you think they're just gonna juice us with so much value that the price is worth it i feel like we have this conversation every master's set where there's this huge amount of complaints about like it's too much money i don't want to pay this much for a box but then usually they put enough value in it that if you're willing to like take the risk and gamble like you do get a lot of value worth of cards out of it uh, it's ow, it's a lot of money for casual magic where you're purposely powering down your deck uh so you know if i if i had a play group you know i we would be talking about you know if we weren't content creators we talk about budget or something right because like no one wants to spend like 500 dollars and then purposely lower your power so that you don't crush your table you know, it's like it's just a weird dynamic uh it's just so much to keep up like so i don't think it's worth it like magic is just as fun with budget decks, if everyone sticks to like that same budget, right? Or like, you know, that same power level, it's it's fun. Like limited is the perfect example, right? Limited is very fun. And the power level of limited is significantly lower than commander or standard or everything, right? But since everyone is using the same power level, it's fine. So I I don't like the idea of like dropping five hundred dollars every set just to keep up with the latest and greatest. Uh, especially since it also power creeps the format and changes the dynamics a lot. Uh, so I wish the products were cheaper, but you know, as Lord of the Rings showed, <laughs> it doesn't matter. People are not rational. You're like, oh, serialized card. Okay. And then like the price of the box goes up by $200, you know, the EV is like a couple bucks. Uh, but yeah, it's wizards going to do wizards things and we're going to keep buying it until we run out of money and we haven't run out of money yet. So <laughs> wow, that, that actually pretty much, that pretty much sums it all up. All right. Next, next topic. Actually, this is a good one. I want to ask you about this. So, uh, Prof, Tulerian Community College, made a video this week about what, in his opinion, were the worst mechanics of all time. I'm curious, Richard, what do you think the worst the worst mechanic is? Definitely check out the Prof's video. He always makes great videos, but I, I'm curious. What, what is on your list? Give me your top two or three. Okay, so the, the real top ones, 
are not remembered, right? They're, they're so <laughs> underwhelming and useless that we never remember them. Yeah, it's some like so Boros you'd, you'd actually have to look at the, the mechanic. Yeah, some Boros yeah. you attack with your Boros thing and it does a thing. Like there's a million of those. We don't even remember the name. I, you're probably right. Yeah, but I don't know but, the ones you can remember for their badness. Megamorph has got to be like. <laughs> That's the laziest excuse for for a mechanic I've ever seen. Like this is the Did you make the new mechanic for the set? No, I thought you were gonna do it. Oh no, let's go to printer tomorrow. Megamorph. That's where it is. Um yeah. Megamorph. I mean, I think th- there's like you gotta also think like from is it from a flavor or like a play perspective versus a balance issue? Right? If you go balance issue, you would say something like partners or companion, right? They were like insanely storm dredge, yeah, storm dredge, uh, infect stuff like that. Yep. Uh, maybe from a like playability wise, like banding. Like, who knows how that works? <laughs> we were talking about how does banding work with the one ring? Like, oh, <laughs> do you, yeah, no. Is everyone a ring bearer? Do you sack the whole team? Like, what what's going on here? Uh, banding is confusing. I would say. Morph manifest for competitive play, where you have to be like, this is morph number one, and this <laughs> is morph you, number two. <laughs> how do you track it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, actually, I, is that even that bad? Because now we got keyword counters. So if, if we actually watch a paper pro tour, you would see someone take a little slip of paper and be like, vigilance counter, and then flying counter. <laughs> I, I think at this point, it might not be that bad. I think it was bad for its time because we weren't really used to having yeah. to do that. But in this era of magic, there's so much to track that I, I'm not sure that's actually like a deal breaker anymore. I got a shout out to Void. My God, do I hate to Void. Like, it's I a mechanic like the- that like, it just does <laughs> nothing. It was like, you make colored creatures and put Devoid on them and technically they're colorless. But like, yeah, there's super fringe situations with like protection from a color where it's relevant. But in general, it like, it's just like the least meaningful mechanic. I think like it, it, it doesn't do anything in like ninety nine percent of the void matters. It yeah. was like colors matter. It's okay. Do you like like devotion or like color identity? Like this is a way to like mess with it, but not really color identity. That's a deck building thing. But it changes like do you, do you know? Remember the old cards that actually just straight up change the color of your magic yeah. cards. Like, like yeah. it's a callback to that, except you just go colorless. So I actually, I actually kind of like Devoid. It's but not if you that just, bad. like, if you just put, oh, this card is colorless on a colored card. That does. Speaking of lazy design, like, isn't that Megamorph? <laughs> they made level? colored like, colorless <laughs> cards. They wanted lots of colorless cards, but they still needed a color pie to do drafting. So they made colored colorless cards <laughs> or colorless colored cards. So. Do you I'm think Void? <laughs> do you think a flying, a pseudo flying mechanic should be on the list? Because you have like literal OG flying, then you have like shadow, then you have like horsemanship. There's like three, at least three mechanics that are essentially just flying with different words. We don't need okay, all those, I, I, right? I can't knock them for horsemanship, like something made like 30 years ago or whatever. Uh, like, I guess Shadow was a long time ago now, too, honestly. Like that was what, Tempest or something? So even that's like 25 years ago. I think it's fine. Like, just like regenerate is a meme. It made sense at the time, right? You're like, oh, this is actually a pretty cool ability. It's just, it was so strong. They had to nerf it by not letting anything regenerate ever again. <laughs> so then it became a meme of a mechanic. Same with indestructible. It's becoming a meme sort of now. But I think that's good for its time. So I, I wouldn't knock on the, the pseudo flyings. I think they were good for their time. Like the horsemanship set, all the, all the people rode horses. It kind of made sense. Yeah, I mean, the flavor of horsemanship is is actually pretty good. Shadow, I think less. I, I really don't understand the idea of shadow, why that was needed to be a thing it's, at it's the like, time. It's like ghost people. They can only interact ghost with themselves. <laughs> they should have saved it for the Lord of the Rings set to save the day. Okay, let's, let's flip it then. What, what, what do you think about dungeon? What do you think about stuff like no one really understands? Like, can you rattle off the dungeon names off oh. the top of your head and what their what their no. are? No, I couldn't. I couldn't take you through a whole dungeon at this point. Like, no. I so there's a big complexity issue, right? Like, it does add a lot of complexity, a lot to keep track of. I think that's a negative. It did break competitive formats. On the other hand, like I've played against several people now who have a dungeon or initiative based commander decks. And they've actually seemed kind of cool. So I think, like, when I think of it as wizards trying to make a commander mechanic, I think it actually, like, kind of hits the mark there and is a positive. But then the complexity and impact on 60-card formats is a negative. So I don't think I'd have it on my list of, like, worst mechanics of all time. 
I'm kind of in the middle, I guess, on that one. Do you have that as as one of your worst, do you think? Like, is it just too much? I think it's too much for anyone to understand. Imagine, like, drafting this card. <laughs> like, you're like, what does this even do? Uh, but I think the way it plays is fine. So once you're familiar with it, you know what it does, it's okay. But it's just so much text, right? It's like an extra card's worth of text on your card. What about what about Daybound and Nightbound? Because I believe, like, if you actually... <laughs> If you actually watch Prof's video, I believe that was at the top of his list, was Daybound and Nightbound. Does that deserve to be considered, like, the worst mechanic of all time? I think it does from, like, a usability perspective. So the, the problem is you got to keep tracking this even after mm -hmm. the Daybound and Nightbound cards go away. And yep. that's that's kind of scuffed. <laughs> uh, and it so didn't I, work for the like, original in terms of actual werewolves. Plays, it's fine. It also plays different from the other uh, mechanic, like the our, our old flipped mechanic. So I don't know how many times you got got by, like, it's nighttime and you play your card expecting to come up on the day side, but it comes on the night side and you're like, oh, I'm a moron. But it happens, like, literally, like, every time. Yeah. Or, uh, or because it just works different from the other mechanic that you're so used to. Cards always come in face up. Uh, so there's usability issues there. So yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, it, I'd put it up there. Did it's it really also add anything. Yeah, yeah. It's also really awkward with the original uh, werewolves. Like you end up in these situations where if you build like a werewolf commander deck, your daybound and nightbound stuff will like not flip, while your other stuff will flip. So like somehow half of your things are flipping, even though it's like really similar mechanics. So I feel like it would have been better received if it was always this way. If daybound and nightbound was like in original Innistrad, and that's just how all werewolves worked, you'd still have the issue of, like, having to track it when the creature's not in the battlefield, which is super obnoxious. But I think the the fact that it doesn't mix, like, yeah, original Innistrad and Innistrad Midnight Hunt, like, the sets just really don't, can you know, mix together very well. I think that makes it even even worse. So, yeah, I think it deserves to be on the short list for sure. One, what, what about if, double face cards, Seth? Oh, I love, I mean, <laughs> I love double face cards. I Like, it's... Ah, Okay, so it's gone too far, I think. Like, we lean on them a little <laughs> bit too heavily these days, and, like, we probably have too many of them, and they're not always used the right way. But I will say, uh, and, and I bet you're like this, too, but, like, they were hype back in original Innistrad. Remember when they first made those in Innistrad, and they were, like, Huntmaster of the Fells and these werewolves, and they'd flip? It was such a cool mechanic. Like, did you like it back in when they first did it, too, for Innistrad? No, I hated it. <laughs> Did you really hate it back then, too? Because it, it, because it invalidated, like, all your sleeves. Remember oh, this? Yeah. And then remember when you when you drafted, you had to, like, show everyone. <laughs> show, yeah. And then if you were a competitive player, you had to use, like, these stupid checklist cards to make sure you don't get, like, deck checked into oblivion. So I actually thought it was real clunky. Uh, I can't imagine us not having two sides on cards nowadays. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a mainstay. But also, it's also the point of a lot of our complaints, right? Like it's the true. saga that flips into a planeswalker that flips into whatever. <laughs> like we have so much text on cards because we have two sides. Is that better than the other? So before we did this with split cards. So, you know, you turn the cards sideways and there's like two miniature cards. <laughs> like, is that, is that better or worse? But at least because you still had to fit them on the card, like you had to put less text on your split cards. You couldn't like split card two planeswalkers like you could do with, uh, with double face cards nowadays, so... I mean, I really think, like... I think MDFCs are an example of it done right, right? Like, that's... I think that should be the archetype for how Wizards designs double face cards. I think double face cards are better than than having, like, two cards on one face, which was always kind of awkward. Uh, like, it's not enough space to do things, and, like, how... It would be awkward to know, with permanence especially, on the battlefield. It worked fine for spells, because you cast them and then it goes in the graveyard, but what if you're putting a land creature on the battlefield, or a creature artifact, like, what side is actually where? Like, so I think there's some issues with that. I think MDFC lands are, like, isn't that how we want them to do it? Like, your front face, you can make it like a magic card. And then the back face is just something very simple. Very simple, still very necessary. To me, MDFC is, like, pretty much justify double face cards by themselves. Like, it's just such a it's such a great and clean design, in my opinion, that that makes it all because worth it. high power levels, Seth. Like, imagine you're playing a new player. They gotta, like, unsleeve the card, flip it around, read it, put it back. <laughs> Yeah. Like, you know how they put, like, the power and toughness or whatever in the front so you can understand, like, good luck. Like, there's more to a card than power and toughness, right? I wonder like, I wonder if my 
perceptions tainted by mostly playing online because I don't have to deal with those downsides because I'm yeah. mostly playing Arena or Moto, so whatever. My double face cards, like I can read them all the time. It's not a big issue. But I have no, I have some in my commander decks, and it is awkward that like. I could imagine if you don't know the cards really well, what are you going to do? Pull it out of your sleeve and like flip it around in front of like huddle under the table. So people get like, oh, how do you I, even, I it. how do you I even do it? Question. How about, what about the Urza head mechanic where <laughs> the mechanics like not even on the card, you gotta go to the website and like roll some dice or whatever. Like that's, that's double faced cards gone digital. It's like actually like a thousand faces or something. Yeah. Now, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would not want that to be tournament legal. I think the Ask Urza thing was funny is like is like an unset thing. Actually, I'm actually curious. I'm gonna look this up right now. Does the site still work? That is also the the problem. I thought it with went this. down. That's why people were complaining. Like I thought yeah. there was some more recently because they turned it off. Oh. Oh, I think I think it's now it's Urza's Funhouse, which is Apparently another card from Infinity. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want that in 60-card formats. The variance is also very obnoxiously high. Like, it's a fun silver-bordered card or acorn card, but I don't think it's a good mechanic uh, overall. What about Richard? Well, let's flip, let's, let, me, let me flip the question for you. So, what's the best mechanic of all time? And is it MDFC? You just the, stated. The, I was actually just going to ask you that, too. I wanted to ask you the, the other side. Um... So MDFC is, I think, is the best double face card mechanic. I don't know if I would say it's the best mechanic ever. The best mechanic of all time. Okay, so my personal favorite, I really love ninjutsu. I think ninjutsu is just, it's fun to play with. It's a cool mechanic. I don't know if it can actually be considered the best mechanic of all time. It's on a fairly small number of cards. It's not in all the colors. I think, honestly, the best mechanic overall of all time is is probably something like Kicker, which you can just, like, you can use it on creatures, you can use it on spells, it can be multicolor, monocolor, it's very repeatable. Uh, we like to meme on everything being Kicker, but really, that's the, the original aspect of it. It plays really well. Another one would be Cycling. I think Cycling is just, like, a really simple, easy way to give your cards more value to reduce mana screw and stuff like that. Take some of the, the variants, the downside variants out of the game. But I think if I had to choose just one, I'm probably going to go with Kicker. What about you? What what would your number one mechanic of all time be? I think I had the same line of thought. I was thinking maybe Scry. <laughs> okay, you yeah. Can add Scry yep. to literally anything, and it's, like, good, and it adds consistency, and it gives you more control over RNG, which is pretty much the only reason you ever get mad at magic is, like, oh, your mana screwed, or you didn't draw your thing, or whatever. But it's not, like, as outrageously overpowered is just like stapling card draw into everything right yeah. so i i like scry uh what's an actual like what about surveil that? though that's just better scry <laughs> it's been surveil's scry's too been power <laughs> surveil's like by putting it in the graveyard you make it too strong yeah so you gotta be careful like if, if you start making random cards that surveil you might actually like power up something uh, how about Infect? I actually kind of like Infect. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you have this as the most hated mechanic too, or like the one that you just people hate it? But like, I actually think it's like a cool. It's like a cool alt win con that's all in. I actually so the reasons why they made Poison is why I like Infect. So Poison is like you get to hedge your bet, you get to deal damage and you know poison people at the same time. Whereas Infect, you're like I'm going all in on this alternate route, and if I get stuffed, I'm like very screwed <laughs> done <laughs> right but it, but the payoff is tremendous like 10 life uh, and it's I cool mean, it's like oh you got infected and like, uh, oh your creature got like weakness counters or whatever right like, yeah. it's like i don't know I thought it's not that bad i feel like it pl oh boy i just i hate losing to infect i think that's a problem like i hate playing against infect i don't know if that makes it a, a bad mechanic like maybe maybe i'm too harsh on it but it wouldn't be on my list of <laughs> of favorite okay, mechanics what about that's for a is hexproof oh, a good mechanic? Oh, my God. No, no. They finally figured out how to balance it. I actually think so. Okay. Shroud, I think, was a good mechanic. The problem is new players didn't really understand it and played it wrong, so they turned it into hexproof. Hexproof, one of the worst mechanics. or worst. Is it a mechanic? Keyword? Whatever. Like, whatever it is, it is, it is one of the worst. It's so overpowered. It's so miserable. I think they finally got to a point where they realized you just, like, can't print cheap hexproof creatures but really i think they actually finally figured it out with ward like i think ward is what 
it solves all the issues like it's what both hexproof and shroud should have been and could have been and it might have taken 30 years but i think wizards has finally figured out a way to like make this protect your thing mechanic in a way that's not just broken and it's also kind of fun the lord of the rings that really reinforces uh to me where we start seeing like uh ward what's sauron sacrifice a legendary artifact or legendary creature like it's not hexproof but that is a very it's very close to hexproof that's a strong force uh of strong form of protection so i feel like ward is wizards like fixing and greatly improving hexproof but i hate hexproof itself interesting i actually didn't like ward too much but maybe because most of the like graveyard trespasser and i guess sauron are the two good board cards other like the ward one or ward two is like literally nothing yeah yeah i think that's also true like there's been some bad ward cards but i think i don't know i'm thinking of this lord of the ring set as being like one of the first steps towards having more creative wards we also had suramon which is discarding enchantment instant or sorcery as its ward so i think more creative wards like that could actually be really really fun and interesting and still pretty powerful but without being uh, is miserable like no one wants to play against Carnage Tyrant. Like, who likes... Or, like, Invisible... You remember Invisible Stalker and Innistrad Limited? Just, like, the the feeling of your opponent just playing that and putting, like, <laughs> a Butcher's so Cleaver on it and just, like, you're like, okay, I'm dead on turn three. Like, hooray. Like, you did it. <laughs> you did it, Invisible Stalker. <laughs> that was the... Co- Would it be better if it was Ward, like, discard your hand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess it would be just as bad, come to think of it, but... <laughs> you just gotta power it down. I, gu- I guess that, that is Ward, right? Like, you're like, okay, Hexproof. But you gotta pay... If you pay four more mana, you can overcome it. So Ward four. Like, okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I think I think once they keep experimenting yeah, I think with you're right. Ward, I think Ward is the, the better, is the better Hexproof. I just want to see a regenerate come back. I thought that was a really cool mechanic. I don't know how to balance it, like someone abusing it to like chump block forever versus, yeah. uh, you know, doing, you know, literally doing nothing because everyone prevents you from regenerating. I'd, I'd like to see it, like, I guess it's persist. Persist is not persist. I guess persist or undying. Persist and dying. They, yeah. they come back, but they come back only once. Or there's. I mean, they use indestructible a lot now, right? As like a replacement, like giving things indestructible, like did season hollow blade and all those that's white two drops. Because now everything exiles. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's to get around. They did the same thing again with regenerate. They learned nothing. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is kind of just uh, yeah the same thing actually power level wise more or less. But <laughs> oh, all right. I think that's uh, all the time for mechanics. But we got a couple minutes left, Richard. So why don't you hit us up with a fish mail or two? All right. If you have questions, you can send them to at MTG Goldfish or at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag Energy Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Uh, to hold you down, is it Delver's been a mainstay legacy forever? And is it Murktide is top tier in modern? Other than the mana base, the two decks seem similar. What about Delver makes it strong in legacy but prevents it from showing up in its uh, modern counterpart? Oh, well. <laughs> Let me tell you about a card named Brainstorm, and also Force <laughs> of Will, and also Days. Like, really, Delver is probably the worst card in the Delver deck. <laughs> like, that's, I think if you talk to Delver players, they will tell. There's been times when Delver has actually been cut from the deck, but Delver is considered to be one of the worst cards in the deck, even though it, it some reason the namesake card of the deck. Really, what makes Delver so powerful is its package of great cantrips like brainstorm ponder and preordain and free counter or magic like force will and days and spell pierce really backed by mana disruption like wastelands which further power up the dazes and spell pierces so you could take delver out of that deck and replace it with i don't know we see dragon rage chandler now we've seen ragavans in the past like another similar one drop and it would basically more or less be exactly the same so it's really not about the delver itself it's about all the support cards for the delver so I think that's the difference, right? I mean, in modern, it's slower. So it's easier to, like, disrupt people, drop your two drop and hit them twice than it is to drop a one drop and then disrupt them for seven turns as you hit them with your one drop. Uh, so, like, I think it's just easier to just, like, drop the Murktide in, in modern. Uh, but yeah. I don't know, like, 
we see this in standard as well. Remember Tomer's like mono blue Delver deck, and you're like, what if you just cut Delver, yeah. <laughs> right? And then you just smack people with Hottie Jin twice. Like, what's why did you go through all this work, like hitting with Delver and all this time, right? You like you just drop the bigger bomb and like hit them twice, and they're dead. So yeah, I, I don't. We don't have enough disruption, and it, it's just so much work to keep that Delver alive. It's too slow. And like, I you have the- bigger creatures with bigger clocks. And I think the other difference is really just uh, the ease of flipping the Delver. Delver unflipped is a really bad creature, just a 1-1 ground creature. In modern and in standard, there's usually not a lot of ways to control the top of your deck. But in Legacy, because of Brainstorm in specific, and also sometimes you see other cards that have similar effects, a counterbalance as you see the top of your deck and fetch lands and so forth. But because of Brainstorm in specific, the ability to flip Delver is much more consistent. Like, it, it's much easier to, like, put an instant or sorcerer in the top of your deck. I've definitely played people in standard who, like, play a Delver and they whiff, like, ten turns in a row and you're just like, yes, yes, another land, <laughs> another creature. Like, you're doing it, Delver. So, I think that's the other big difference. Alright, last question. Sebi DC, what's your favorite magic format and can you convince us it's better than the rest? Oh, boy, that's... I actually don't know what your favorite format is. Traditionally, my favorite format is modern. Is it still my favorite format? I go, I go back and forth. I think it's still my favorite format. Uh, I, it's not. I don't love it as much as I have at various points in the past. I think since Modern Horizons two, it's not as far ahead of the other formats as it used to be. But I still think modern is my favorite format. And the reason I think modern is my favorite format is. You you can still do a ton of things. Yes, those things, usually in your deck, you got to play some Modern Horizons cards. That's kind of the cost of doing it. But it is still a format where there's a big enough card pool that you have a lot of options. And most archetypes, many archetypes have strong enough cards that you actually have a chance to compete. You can build pretty janky decks. Like this week we're playing Nazgul's on Against the Odds. And you can build a deck like that around the nine Nazgul's and you can actually win some games with it because there's good enough support cards and and the rest of the deck can make it work. So the diversity of modern, yes, it's been diminished since Modern Horizons 2, but it's still the most diverse format. And for me, that still makes it the best format. Ask me in a few years on it might be Pioneer. I think there's a chance that Pioneer passes modern in the not super distant future. Yeah, I I'm a modern believer, but I'm trying to jump ship to Pioneer. <laughs> like that that that's modern, I don't know. It's you can't play what you really like it's it's like fake playing what you want now. Like you can play whatever you want because the decks are slower, but like they, they, they've guaranteed the victory already and you're just like playing tier three stuff and like, you know, slowly dying, but you haven't <laughs> died yet. Like that's the problem with modern, right? Like if you're not playing the elementals and stuff like that, you're not winning, but it feels like you're winning and interacting before they actually like clamp down and kill you. So that's the problem with modern now. Um, I think... The power level has gotten too, too high now that you it's hard to complete compete with like random pet cards. Like you will get overwhelmed by the good cards um, eventually. So I'm looking to jump ship. I'm looking to, for a place I can play Tarmogoyf. <laughs> I don't know where that is. Uh, Historic Richard, join no, join I, the I arena. Tarmogoyf is yeah. <laughs> I cannot play Historic. I I am a firm. I, I need to be able to play something that you can play in paper and that they don't like randomly add digital mechanics to. I, I don't like that. That's a personal choice. Uh, so I think Pioneer should be what old modern is, right? Like modern's gotten too powerful. So we'll just move the cutoff date forward and then Pioneer should be where it's at. The only problem is it has no identity. And this is a problem of 2023. Uh, every set is determined or every format is kind of being shaped by the latest standard set and the latest whatever set they have for that format is. So now whenever they release a new standard set, like there are some very broken cards that will just see their way through like every single format going all the way back to Legacy. Same with like Horizon set, same with uh, even Lord of the Rings. Uh, so all the formats kind of feel the same now. <laughs> like there, there, there is some variance, but at the same time, like the one ring is good. It's good from modern all the way back, right? Like uh, Orcish Bowmaster is good. It's good from modern all the way back. 
the one thing uh, the one thing pioneer is going for it though is like you don't get those supplemental product cards i think i really hope wizard sticks to that like yes you still get the op standard cards that yeah. was especially a problem a couple years ago and i guess it's still a problem to some extent but it's better than other formats because you're not getting uh mono horizons or pioneer horizon sets you're not getting one rings and lord of the Rings sets. so i feel like that is something that gives Pioneer a leg up over the other formats. And I think that's one of the reasons I I think it will surpass Modern. Although, I'm also very afraid that Wizards will start printing Horizon sets. Like, once Pioneer becomes popular, you know they're going to do it. And then we, we just go through the same cycle again, right? Where you put all the broken cards in there, and then people get upset, and then you start a new format, and <laughs> and it just keeps going <laughs> that's forever. <how> it goes. <laughs> No one likes this format, I just make a new one. <laughs> and then do the exact same thing you did to the old one, to the new one. Uh, yep. But but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Limited is also very good. Yeah. Uh, actually, Limited might be my most played and favorite format. Um, it's just expensive. Like, I, like without... Now that I don't want to build a Magic Arena uh, collection, it is very expensive to play Arena. <laughs> I'm basically throwing away, like, every single card I open. So it's very expensive. Do you ever... Uh, but if you want... Consider Moto. You ever consider going to Moto if that's like if you don't actually care about building a collection, wouldn't it be better to play limited on Moto? But I wanted or to play cheaper? Lord of the Rings with like a modern interface. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually thought about that after a while. I'm like, wait a minute, why did I just play on Moto? <laughs> uh, I can open the one ring as well, right? Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's a win-win. So maybe I'll go to Moto. I don't know how happening it is. I know standard is really tough on Moto now. Uh, the the queue times are getting longer and longer with every set release. Uh, I wonder how limited it is. So maybe I'll try limited on Moto next time, but it's too sweaty for me. It's like best of best of three. I like playing best of one limited because it's not sweaty. Oh, and, they uh, they actually have easier. started. They've actually started doing best of one events on Moto for set releases too. Like I believe right now there's actually a best of one Lord of the Rings limited queue. Yeah, so they've started Ooh. putting those in as special events. So keep an eye out for those. That might be the. I mean, just financially, it's probably going to be cheaper. Like if the issue with arenas, it's really expensive. Which if you're not trying to get the cards, it is probably going to save money doing it on Moto at least. But I got to play with Moto grinders. But you do have to play with. Me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> arenas just like a free for all, all free gems yeah. <laughs> here and there. Like what are you doing? I don't know what you're doing, but thanks for the win. <laughs> but like. Yeah. Magic Online, that's sweaty, man. They're they're like tough. They're, they're, Everyone left they're like trying really to time good, you yeah. out by adding extra actions to their steps. You're like, whoa, whoa, Mister. I just whoa. I just want to play my Frodo. Chill, chill, mode. I had to change chill. my kid's diaper. Relax. I'm not gonna time out. <laughs> and then I like almost time out. <laughs> all right. Anyway. So that's all our fish mail this week. Thank you to everyone who's sending questions. You can send in future questions to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that brings us to the end of episode 440 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. So, Richard, thanks for hanging out. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes on in the world of magic. So, until then, have a lovely week, everyone. And this is the crew signing out. <laughs>